So Christmas Eve, man, shocker, but what we did is we, we discussed the fact that Jesus put on flesh, right? Spoiler alert within the story. But, but that still does not answer the question, ultimately, how is this baby, this infant, going to crush the head of Satan? And if you've been following along in this sermon series, that's been one of the things we keep hearkening back to because it's a promise that God made to, to Eve and to her offspring, but there would be one specific offspring who would come and crush the head of the serpent, right? And so we're going to pick that story up right there. And how does he reverse the curse? Well, let's look at one text today. It's two verses found in Hebrews chapter 2. And it's verses 14 and 15. All right? So I'll give you a moment to turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, you can listen as I read along. And uh, starting in verse 14. Since therefore the children... By the way, children here are spiritual children. You know that from the context of the actual chapter, okay? So spiritually born again, children of God, share in flesh and blood. He, Jesus, himself, likewise, partook of the same things. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is, the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's our text. That's our text for today. And we'll have other texts along the way, but that's the text I want us to look at. Baby Jesus, born in a manger, was not given to us as a sentimental token of God's love. We have to get that out of our mind when we, when we think about all that is cultural Christianity. Much better is, is the actual story that's found in the Bible, which is he is the Lord incarnate. He is God with us, right? He's the head crusher wrapped in swaddling cloth, and clothes, and, and he's come back to crush the head of the, the serpent, okay? So think back in the Garden of Eden where we began. God promised Adam and Eve that he would send one who would defeat the devil, right? That the devil would be defeated, right? And, and the, the horrific events of all that had happened in that day of the great rebellion would be reversed through a solution in which God would provide. And that's what Christmas is about. He promised a savior who would be born of a woman who would come and destroy the devil, so let's look at verse 14, just the first part. What you notice is the eternal Son of God, this is your first point, the eternal Son of God became the God-man, Jesus Christ. So there's never been a time that there was not Jesus, right? Since therefore the children, spiritual children, share in flesh and blood, He, Jesus, Himself likewise partook of the same things. Jesus, who has always existed, took on flesh. He added on humanity. He added on flesh and blood. He entered human history. That's called the incarnation. We talked about that um, on Christmas Eve, but you might not have been here. It's just the act of being made flesh, right? God has always existed in Christ, but he added on humanity. It's a staggering mystery to think about, quite honestly, how that actually happens. And, and there would be no way to unpack that whole thought in this sermon. But one text that would really help us understand is found in the book of John. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 and 14. Now I'm going to read it to you, um, and so hopefully you can follow along. But if not, look at it uh, this afternoon. And, and really take the time to understand the words that are being said here. So in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. That's a profound statement. 
It's a profound statement. He's with God. He is God. And it goes on. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is Christ. God put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That's a staggering claim. In every other religion, we must work our way to a God who ultimately we can never please. We just never please him. Every other religion is based on works righteousness. Only Christianity does the, the only one true God send himself to the humans that could never make their way to him. He comes to us. So all other religions are essentially about evolution. It's about evolving to God. But, but actually, Christianity is about revelation. God puts on flesh, and he shows us exactly what he is like. Jesus is the exact imprint of God because he is God. And, and we have to wrap our minds around that. Yet when many of us read the Bible, um, even good gospel people we read about the God-man in the Gospels, and, and how are we miss, we generally miss the God, and we, we, we actually maybe we see the God, but we miss the man, or, or one way or the other. That pendulum swings, meaning we're either heavy, yes, Jesus is God, and he fully is, or yes, he's man, but it's hard to wrap our minds around the fact that, no, he's the God-man. A really fancy word for this is hypostatic union. It's where you know, Jesus is one person of the triune God, and he has two natures. He's, he's fully God. He's fully man. The two don't commingle. How do we understand that? I mean, that's, that's, we need help. Because a lot of times what happens is we make Jesus into, like, Superman, Clark Kent. Right? So, so he comes, but he, he has all his powers. The only difference is spandex. When, when he's Superman, he's got a cape. When he's Clark Kent, he, he kind of looks like, you, you're, a, you're a handsome man, right? And so, so but what's the difference? Well, there's, not, there's not a ton of difference. They're the same guy. He's just wearing a different uniform. But, but that's not how Jesus functions. He, he does. He, he lays aside in some ways. But he never lays aside his divine nature, right? But, but, he, but he functions as a spirit-filled man. He really does get tired. How, how does God get tired, right? And, and this is, I mean, think about it. Jesus grew physically. He was born a baby, but he didn't stay a baby, right? He grew. He grew spiritually. He grew mentally. Think about that. God grew mentally. You can't teach God something. And yet, Jesus, as the God-man, grew mentally, socially. He learned. He experienced fatigue. He slept. He grew hungry. His belly rumbled. Do you ever think about some of these things? Thirsty. He worked as a carpenter. He, he had male and female friends. And they were really his friends. And he loved. He loved people. He encouraged people. He gave encouraging words to people. He complimented people. He loved children. He celebrated holidays. Went to parties. Right? I mean, do you realize, I mean, in the Gospels, they said Jesus was a, glut, a glutton and a drunkard. Right? Why? Because he was hanging out with people who did this, right? Guilt by association. Boy, is that a real thing within our own culture? Well, it's not new. They said the same thing about Jesus. He loved his mom. He laughed. He cried. He wept. He suffered. He prayed. He worshiped. 
And he perfectly obeyed the Father. And boy, is that important if we're going to understand the life of Christ. He perfectly obeyed the Father. This has huge implications for our lives and for the gospel. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this. Since then, we have a great high priest. This is Christ, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Why does this matter? Well, because it means that Jesus, he's sympathetic to our temptations, our weakness, our suffering, our sickness, our disappointments in life, our pain, our confusion, our loneliness, our brokenness, our betrayals, right? Our mourning and sadness. Jesus willingly stepped down from his throne where he's ruling and reigning on high, where angels sung his praise every day of every minute, of every second, of every day. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He laid it aside. He entered humbly into our sick, fallen, and fractured world. Uh, I don't remember who said it, but there's a, a quote that said that if you think that it means like it would be like a human being, like one of you and I just becoming a worm, you've not begun to scratch the surface. Now just imagine if you just right now became a worm. It's kind of a strange thought. But if you think that that's even close to what it means for God to put on flesh and to enter a humble, as a humble baby, to be so needy to his mother to feed him, we, we've not begun to scratch the surface of what it means for God to put on flesh. He humbly came into the world to feel what we feel, to face what we face, and yet he remained sinless. The spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, has come to take away the sins of the world. Jesus is like us in every respect, right? He has a hu human body, a, a heart, a mind, yet without sin. Boy, does that matter. How amazing is it that Jesus became fully man so that he might save us in full? This was God's plan from the beginning. This isn't like, hey, he had to you know, you know, fix this thing up. Like, oh, what are we going to do? No, he's truly a marvelous Savior, and God had always planned it to be this way. Always. Before the foundation of the earth was ever laid, Jesus was slain to save sinners. This is not God close by. It's not God near us. This is God with us. With us. And in, in, in a way right now, as a New Testament church, that cannot have happened um, before the Holy Spirit had fallen on his people. He is with you right now, no matter where you go. There's never a time that you're not walking with God if you're in Christ because he's in you. And nothing can change that reality. Why did he do this? There's a lot of reasons to that question, but let's look at one. Uh, second point, the God-man Jesus was cursed and crushed on the cross so that he could destroy the devil. You see it right in 14b, that through death, that's his death, that's his death on the cross, Jesus might destroy the one who has power of death. By the way, he doesn't have ultimate power. 
Don't, don't ever think of God and Satan in a dualistic way where, where it's like, good God, bad God, battle royal. Who's going to win? I don't know. Facebook, hit the likes, right? And, and if, if Jesus gets more likes, he wins. No, this is, that's silliness. That's silliness. Satan is a created being. God is almighty, all-powerful. It's nothing for him to destroy Satan. Yet, it cost him much to do it. The reason Jesus became man, listen, ultimately was to die. <laughs> From cradle to cross, that was his mission. Would you have ever thought that? <laughs> Answer, no. Why? Because it seems so counterintuitive, doesn't it? Like, it just seems so strange to think, I'm going to send him, I'm going to send my king, my mighty king. What's he going to do? He's going to be born. He's going to live a perfect life, and he's going to die. When we hear that in our finite ears, we don't understand it, which is why we always continually talk about here at For the City, we need spiritual help. If you understand the gospel and believe it in your heart, God's done a miracle in your mind. He's done a miracle in your heart because you're, it's not about intelligence. It's not. Faith is a gift. It's a miracle that's happened. Right? So... so Jesus knew and embraced his mission. And his mission was, was, it was one of love. Love for the Father, love for sinners. And so he came. He gladly put on flesh. So let's try and connect the dots. Um, you all have been with us enough to know this, but it never hurts to continually remind ourselves the good news. So I'm just kind of fly through this a little bit, but, but think about the words that are being said. So the first thing we've got to know is that God is holy and without sin. He is holy and without sin. This is really difficult for us to comprehend uh, many times because when we look around the world, what we see is death, evil, injustice, and it plagues our world everywhere we look. However, the Bible declares that God is holy. He is without sin. He is absolutely perfect. Okay. Second thing is that God made us holy and without sin. You know, our first parents, Adam and Eve, were born without sin. So, so not only is God absolutely perfect, but everything that God made was originally perfect and good. And, and this includes Adam and Eve, who were made in his image and likeness. And as we read in Genesis 3, though, it didn't take long before rebellion began, which, by the way, is called sin. Sin results in death. Death, right? Because why? The living God is absolutely perfect. He's absolutely perfect. He is the source of all life. Sin, therefore, must be put, it must result in death. He promised it would, and if God makes a promise, he cannot break it. He said, the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, so what is death, though? Because sin, sin is uh, separating ourselves from God, essentially. Because God's perfect, now we're not because of sin. We cannot come into his presence, right? Or we'd be evaporated. It'd be like trying to hug the sun. Just imagine that for a moment. If you could get close enough, what it would look like to try to hug the, the sun, that glowing ball in the sky, you'd evaporate. Well, if you think that's intense, try to go to a holy God as a sinful human being. But this death is both physical. We see that, right? You've all had people in your lives that have died. But it's spiritual death also. And so the whole world's subject to death. Why? Because we've all sinned. We die physically. We die spiritually because we're born spent, you know, spiritually dead. So, so physically alive yet spiritually dead, that's every person's condition when they're born. You must be born again. You must be made alive. 
right? So how does that happen? Well, Jesus is born, but he's born sinless. Why? Because he doesn't have a human father in Adam, right? His father is Father God. His mother is a virgin. And so he comes, and the Bible makes it clear that even though Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, he never committed a sin. He is essentially the second Adam. You'll hear that language throughout preaching and through teaching. He's Adam 2.0. He's perfect. He's going to do it the way Adam should have done it to bring about salvation for a people who cannot do it. That's the point. You you and I are sinful, but everyone but Jesus is a sinner, both by nature and by choice. Our sins include words, actions, thoughts, deeds. This includes things that we have failed to do that we know we should have done, and we've done things we know we should not have done. But Jesus, he becomes our sin. He, He willingly takes upon our sin. On the cross, Jesus is our substitute. That word is, I can't tell you how important the word substitute is for understanding the gospel. He died for us. Jesus was made to be the worst of what we are. Think about it. He was made to be a liar. He never lied. He was made to be a sexual pervert. He was never a sexual pervert. A drug addict, right? Um, an addict, a, a, a coveter, a glutton, an alcoholic. Whatever sins you have in your mind, he never did any of them, yet he was made to have done them. He, he, he took it on himself. They were placed upon him. He never did them. This, Jesus never sinned. Yet he willingly comes and he says, place them on me. That substitution. He is the perfect lamb of God. And to really get that, man, you've got to get at the heart of Judaism in the sense of they would have a, a lamb, right, that was spotless, and they would slit the throat of this thing, and then they would take the blood on the one, and they'd put it on the other, and they'd send it out into the wilderness. That's where your whole escape goat comes from, and it would run and take away the sins, but it never took away the sins of a whole, uh, listen, a sinful people. Only Christ could do that, and he did that. He died for us. Jesus willingly went to the cross and died for us. He, he literally stood condemned, in our place, in order to suffer and die. This has always been God's plan. He sent him to die to kill the devil, but it doesn't still answer how he did that. That's why you need the resurrection. It's why you need Easter, right? If you just have Christmas, that's, it's half the battle. If Jesus is lying in a grave right now somewhere in the middle of the East, Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians that we're foolish. We're worshiping a dead Messiah, But we do know about Easter because we live on this side of the cross, thank God, right? He triumphantly resurrected from the grave. And when he did that, he defeated Satan's sin and death because he opened up the gates for all sinners to repent, to believe the good news, and come into the good grace of the Father. He ascended, right? He ascended to the Father. What's he doing right now? Huh, Eli? Eli and I had an hour-long conversation about that on, on a particular morning. Have you ever thought about what Jesus is doing right now? Right, is he up there? He's like a little carpenter, right? He's building a mansion so we can all go into the sky and live in the clouds. No, he, he's ruling, he's reigning, he's mediating, he's sovereign God. And, and, and when I say the word mediating, all who come to him and ask for forgiveness, he gives. He makes peace between a holy God and a sinful man. This is what Christ has done. Listen to it in a text. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses, think about this. You were dead, spiritually dead, 
in your trespasses, uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. God did that. God made alive together with him, with Christ. I'm in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Notice it was by nailing all our sins to the cross, he Jesus disarmed rulers and authorities. That, that's talking about Satan. It's talking about demons. He put them to open shame. Why? Because he triumphed over them. We triumph over them in Christ. You ever think about that? What is clear from this is that from the cradle to the bloody cross, it's all about God's love for sinners. That's what Christmas is about. This is what, that's what this war is about that we're talking about. God loves sinners. You're a sinner? Are you a sinner? Yes. And you're a new creation. God loves you. You've never met a sinner on the face of this earth that God does not love. Have you ever thought about that? There might be tons of people you don't love. There might be people you don't like, but you've never met one that God does not love. Jesus is the head-crushing Savior who was willingly crushed in our place in order to crush the head of Satan. That's an amazing plan. That's a stunning thing. I mean, the cross is how Jesus disarms the powers. So, dying in our place, what would happen? Jesus defanged, essentially, the serpent. Because Satan's still out there at work, right? he's not been thrown into the pit of hell yet. That's next week, actually. So if you're wondering, what's next week look like? It's how it all wraps up. It's, it, it's future prophecy, in a sense. It's what, what do we have to look forward to? And it's pretty awesome, so you should come next week. But in an ultimate sense, right now, he's, imagine a, a, a fangless snake. You ever see these crazy YouTube videos where they got like these little Indian children sitting there and they got the snakes and they got their, they're like, they're, they're, they're doing this and they're whacking them in the head. If you've not watched it, you probably shouldn't, but it's, it, maybe you should. It's crazy though. You just watch it and, and I wonder, how's that happening? Well, they, they take the fangs out of the snake. They take, that, that's what it looks like when Satan comes to attack one of God's children. He's got no venom for you. He has no claim on you. Why? Because you're in Christ. And, and, and that means you're a justified person. All your sins have been paid for. Your past sins, your present sins, your future sins. Even the sins, yes, future. The ones I haven't committed yet, yes. The ones I'm thinking about doing this afternoon, you shouldn't. But even those. It's, it's stunning reality. So a person with no legal guilt, guess what? Satan has no claim on because you can't be condemned in an ultimate sense if you're completely innocent. The devil cannot make a case against you to God. He has no power to do that. Why? Because the judge has banged the gavel and declared you innocent, which, by the way, is the third and final point, and this is where I want to spend the rest of our time on. The God-man Jesus came to set captives free. Let's... Christmas is about setting slaves free. That's what he did. It's a rescue mission. He came to set captives free. We know that from Luke chapter 2 or 3. In order to restore a relationship between God and humanity, 
So look at the last verse in Hebrews 2, 15. It says, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This means you and I are free to be free from the fear of death. Let me ask you a question. Are you? (laughs) Are you? Yes and no sometimes. Right? There's days where I think I'm full of faith and I'm not afraid to die. And there's days where, man, it, it starts to nip at me and I'm, I'm sick and I'm watching people I love and, and they're not doing well. And it might creep in there, but, but don't miss what he just said. You are free to be free of the fear of death. See, death is hideous. It's frightening. It's not good. I hate it. It's cruel and it's unusual. It's not the way that life is supposed to be. It's just not. Our, in, our grief, in our grief, we face death and we acknowledge its truth. And when we do, it's very hard. Death is our great enemy and it comes for each and every one of us. If you've lived long enough, you've experienced this. The reality of the truth is everywhere, right? And during, I think, this pandemic, we've, we've, we've seen it even more. Yet, in our technological world, in our age, we choose to see what we want and we we, we choose not to look at what we don't want. We, we really do. We, we turn away from it. Death is all around us, but we can just avoid it anytime we want. Our culture loves to attempt to delay death, even aging. And you can't do it. You can stretch your face as much as you want. You can do as many diets as you want, and maybe you should. You can take medication. You can go and have surgery and all the cosmetics. You can even put these little things under your eyes that make them less puffy But at the end of the day, death is coming for you. I mean, I hope you understand that. And it's like, well, this ain't very happy. But you need to understand this. To keep death at a distance is to just ignore reality. It's to live in an illusion. But yet, through many distractions, entertainments, comforts, we do that. We simply attempt to ignore it. Because as Kevin and I were talking the other night, you can't look at it all the time. You'd just be depressed. You'd end up writing probably some pretty good music. Um, some of the music I like, it seems like that's all they look at. It's much more real. But, but I want you to know that without being unwise, many of us use the, the, the turning away from the reality of death as a crutch to hang on to comfort. We, we love to continue to worship self and safety and comfort, but I want you to know, here's a cold, hard fact. You're going to die. You're going to die. (laughs) Merry Christmas. (laughs) Merry Christmas. I I remember even writing this. Are you really going to preach this? Uh, Yeah, I am. Because our world doesn't know what to do with death. It does not know what to do with death. You can hear it if you listen, hey, they're in a better place now. Have you ever heard that, right? Or I'm just glad that their suffering has ended. Well, that may or may not be true. However, the illusion of a deathless society has been exposed over the last few years. I mean, for the longest time, you would not hardly hear much of this unless you watched the, you know, a particular news channel. But it was always just happy slappy. Everything's amazing, right? Let's, let's just watch another show and forget the fact of the reality that there are people around me that are dying. They're going to live till they're 100 and whatever, and then they're going to go to a better place. Yet, 
in the last, how many years has it been? Two years? I can't even keep track. Yeah. What you hear are people talking about death more and more and more and more. And this, I think, is actually a good thing for the gospel. I really do. Because I think that our society is far less ready and prepared than our ancestors before us. Why? Because it was constantly in their face. It was constantly in their face. They could not just get iPhone 47 and forget about it. Because they had to deal with it. You didn't just put grandma in a place where you could just pretend she didn't exist, only visit her on Christmas, and then hurry up and go drink some punch that spikes so you don't have to think about it. No, she was in the house, and you knew it. For me, growing up, was a, was a, death was a constant reminder. Why? Well, because I was the youngest of my dad and mom's children, and I was a, oh my goodness, baby, right? And if you don't know what that means, it means... Well, one of them weren't expecting me. My mom sabotaged my dad. Way to go. Mom, thank you. Right? I was an oops baby, and I came many years after my sisters. My dad was the youngest of seven. And so I went to way more uh, funerals than I ever did weddings. And so I just, it became a part of our life. I was constantly, we had a huge family. My, my one uncle had 12 kids. We, we just always were going to funerals. And it was always around there, always around me. And yet, I met people, I met my wife, she never had been to a funeral. I met my wife when she was 19. Never had experienced death anyone close, because she comes from a very young family, and she's the oldest of the siblings. But even that's pretty amazing. But she has since. But, but here's the thing, we're so consumed with the joys and the struggles of the life that we can't slow down to think about the grave, can we? But, but the Bible is clear. Your life is a mist. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. If you ever wake up and there's just a fog out there and then the sun comes up and it's gone, it's just vapor, it's gone. That's you. That's me. Kind of. Kind of. Physically, yes. Spiritually, no. Because we're in Christ. And this is where the good news comes in for the Christian, right? You and I will live forever. We don't need to be afraid of death. That's, this is, that's the whole point of what he's saying here. Why? Because Jesus has destroyed death. But yet we have anxiety and fear of death, right? But because of the gospel, you and I will go lovingly into the arms of our Savior. The day you die will be the greatest day of your life. It will be the greatest day of your life. Now, for the people that are left mourning your loss, it won't be so great, even though they will celebrate and mourn, which is a hard thing to do sometimes. But for you, Paul could not be more clear. The Bible could not be clear, more clear. To die is to gain. It's gain. Why? Because your faith, that which you're trusting, is true from the Bible as you read it becomes sight. It becomes ultimate reality. And you will stand in the presence of your Savior and he will have del his delight upon you in that moment. I don't know what it looks like, but I've wandered. I've let my imagination go at times. And it's better than anything I could ever imagine in that moment. To stand before him and to know because of Christ's perfect life that I stand there totally forgiven, totally justified, totally loved, totally embraced. And he welcomes me home to himself. That's what death ushers you into. So Christian, you don't, and notice I said the word Christian. 
you don't have to make peace with your maker before you die. I'm looking at each and every one of you. Why? Because Jesus has already secured that peace for you in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And the moment that you have believed it, your peace is secured. Well, what if I don't feel it changes reality? Not one iota. Not one bit. He's already secured that peace through the blood of Christ. Right now, you stand completely forgiven. Completely forgiven. As far as the east is to the west, all your sins are gone. He does not see not one. Jesus' blood never wavers in, in our weakness or in our sin. It is perfect. It is sufficient for you right now, today, and forever. So, so the grave actually graduates you to the glory of God and to the presence of God. It graduates you. you, you you've made it. You're done. Your journey's done. That's good news, especially when you're hurting, especially when you're suffering. Think about it. If Jesus died so that you do not have to pay for anything in your past, in your present, or even the sins that you've done, and he has risen in your, to be your living Savior, okay? If that's true, then what can death do to you? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Which means you're free. And that's why I really want you to think about right now. We're going to finish up very shortly. But I want you to think about, am I free of the fear of death? Now, there's moments where you're not. But, but right now, if you, if you just, I believe that absolutely is true. If I, if I die, I go to be with him. I'm free, right? Believe in that, trust in that, that's true. Then guess what? You're free to risk your life. Because you can't really risk it. I mean, think about this. What, what do you have to risk? Because Christ has removed the eternal fear and reality of death. And when I say death, I mean judgment. Because when the Bible talks about death, it means judgment. You should fear death if you're not in Christ. You absolutely should fear it. Why? Because in the moment that you were to die, you would stand before your God and there would be a judgment pronounced upon you. And if you're not in Christ, guess what that judgment is? It's guilty. And there's nothing more terrifying than being guilty before a holy God. But if you're in Christ, then guess what? You, the declaration over you is that you are perfectly innocent. And therefore... God welcomes you because of Christ. Christ and the, the gospel calls us, compels us to, to just throw away at the, the idea of the temporary risk of our lives. To just fling it off. For, for the followers of Christ, risk is actually gone. It's gone. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1 says. No wrath. None. So, so when you think about that, neither death nor, nor, nor life will separate us from the love of God. So, so why would I be afraid of death? Don't be, right? Some of us, the Bible says we'll, they will put you to death. You will die, but not a hair on your head will ever be harmed. How can that be true? 
How can, how can someone put you to death and yet you ultimately won't be harmed? Because the real you isn't this. Not really. It, it's, it's, it's much more your soul. But here's the beauty. You get a glorified body. Because when you die, your, your body goes to the grave. Your spirit goes to be with the Lord. But there will be a day when Jesus will return and your body and your spirit will be brought back together and you'll have a glorified body. And in that moment, you'll be able to worship God and enjoy him fully, finally, forever, without any fear or without any anxiety. Because you may still have that even though you believe this truth right now. It's like, oh Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. But there will be a day that will be gone. I can't imagine a life without anxiety or fear or any of the things that cling so closely to me. But in that moment, that will be our reality. But I'm telling you right now, it's your reality. Why? Because the Bible is true. It is your reality. So you can trust him. Whoever believes in Jesus, though he die, yet shall he live. Death graduates you into your reality of life. So, with eight minutes left, that's why I moved to Greensburg. I had people say, you sure you want to risk that? What, were they, what they meant was my, my nice house. What they meant was a cushy uh, job that would pay my bills and all these different things. You sure you want to risk that? And it's not a risk. What am I risking? Oh, we... We just cling so closely to comfort because we get so caught up in our lives here and now that we forget about the reality that we actually live in. There's nothing to risk. I was glad to move to Greensburg in the midst of a pandemic. Why? Because there are neighbors around me who are dying and they do not have the hope of Christ. That's why we moved. That's why hopefully you moved. And that's why you're here today. But I want you to know this. You and I can really risk nothing because everything is perfectly secure in God and I'm in Him and He's in me. Therefore, I lose nothing. What, what can you do to me? What could you do to any Christian? Think about how Paul answers it. Well, if I'm going to live, it's for your benefit. Well, well, we'll beat you. Well, even those afflictions are actually just going to work for the, the glory of Christ because I'm suffering for his sake. Well, we'll kill you. Well, to die is gain. It was very hard to discourage. Why? Because he understood the truth of the message of the gospel, which is that Jesus put on flesh to live the life that you and I could never live, to die the death that you and I deserve to die. And he triumphantly resurrected and he secured and made sure the fact that our justification, which means that you and I are declared innocent and have a perfect righteousness that was given by God as a gift of grace to be received, cannot ever be taken from us. So what can Satan do? Nothing. He's a toothless, fangless serpent. But he can't accuse you. He can't accuse you, which is why if you don't understand the gospel, you'll always run around feeling defeated, feeling beat up. Why? Because he's going to continue to throw your sins in your face. You know where you ought to throw them? Right where they are, which was on the cross. Just get behind me. That's not who I am. I'm a new creation. All my sins have been paid for. I am a chosen son of God. Therefore, I'm covered in the blood of Christ. Therefore, you have nothing to say to me. And you go back to the gospel 
and you keep on living, you keep on loving. May we move towards, in 2022, our neighbors who need, they're in great need. May we move towards them, not away from them. Well, what if they have this or what if they have that? And they're going to be needy. Move towards them. Stare death in the face and don't flinch. And no, not in some cocky way. Not without wisdom, understanding we don't want to take uncalculated risk. Right? Like we want to know. We don't want to just like jump in the middle of the road and be like, hey, Jesus loves you. Okay, you're going to see Jesus. Maybe. I'm not talking silliness. I'm saying would you just look at the life that God has for you that's going to be here before you know? It's going to be here tomorrow. Like, I'm talking right now. You're going to be with him in glory. This is all going to fade away really quick. And you're like, man, some of us are young. We have a lot to live. But live for God. Live for God. Don't waste your life just doing piddly winking things, collecting toys and trinkets to go to stand before your God. Risk your life. But it's no risk at all. Why? Because even if you're to die, that's actually the best day of your life. So fear is gone. I don't need to fear what anybody can do to me. Why? Because I'm in the good grip of Christ. Do you believe that God has good works for us as a church right here, right now in the city of Greensburg for the year of 2022 and for the rest of 2021? Don't be sleeping on that. Do you believe he has good works for you? Because he does, he's, he's prepared them for us in this particular time. Do you realize that right now, God knew in this moment that you would be trusting in him and in the city of Greensburg, prepared to do the things that he set us out to do? Do you believe that? Because if you do, it'll change the way you wake up in the morning and put your boots on and go to work. Because there's no throwaway days. There's not one day that you can just say, I'm going to take off. Why? Because God's always at work. And what's he doing? He's saving people. He loves to save people. So church, my prayer for us as we continue forward, we got one more sermon after this, right? Um, for our sermon series. Then we're going to talk about why our church exists, okay? And we're going to take probably four or five weeks to do that. But, but in every sermon that we have coming up, this is really to equip soldiers for the war that we're in but I want you to know ultimately that war's done we're, we're in a battle but the war's decided we kind of live between like d-day and v-day right if you're familiar with that language um it it means d-day was war but v-day well it's already over but there was still this battle that was raging on until it actually came to an end that's us right now we're fighting as victors as victors who can't die not really no one could kill you so what are you what do you have to be afraid of rejection think about how all other things are just silly now well they might not like me your god adores you they might not approve of me because of christ's blood he perfectly approves of you they might laugh at me your god smiles upon you <laughs> see how silly it is when we stare at reality, reality is found in the word. That's where all truth is revealed by God's grace. Jesus came full of grace, full of truth. 
We're going to spend our lives getting to know him and laboring from a grace-driven effort. Okay? That's what you have to look forward to. Um, Merry Christmas. Who's, who's ready for Christmas to be over the whole season? Hands up. Okay. Okay. No, okay. Well, there's one? I got one. Okay, well, for the rest of you, I just want you to know, you got epiphany, so go to January 6th and keep on partying for all I care, right? Um, I'm ready also. I really am, uh, but I've enjoyed it. So I don't know what you got the, going on the rest of the day. Hopefully it's with people you love, people that you enjoy. Go love them. Seriously, go love the daylights out of them and, and risk. Risk being vulnerable for the sake of love. It really is a vulnerable thing to love people because they might not love you back. But when you understand that God loves you, what do you, oh, you don't like me? I'm kind of sad about that. But it's really okay because my God loves me. He's for me. He's with me. And I know that. So what could you do to me? Nothing. May God make us a radically loving people in every ordinary way this year. That really is, if you want to join me in a prayer, that's going to be the prayer that I pray more often than not this year. I've already wrote it down. That we would understand the love of God more fully, more deeply, more comprehensively than we do right now. And that because of that understanding, that he would in us, by his spirit, create us to be a people who will love without fear, without hindrance, risking our lives risking the, the, the embarrassment of, of people not loving us back, but not caring because we know the plight that they're in apart from Jesus saving them. That's where we're headed. That's what we're going to be talking about. That's what we're going to be preaching. That's what we're going to be teaching. So let's, let's continue to worship. Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for destroying death. Thank you for swallowing it all up. Thank you for ridding, um, from ridding Satan's accusatory tongue against your people. May we fully understand the gospel more deeply today. May we leave here knowing that, that even though we may have things that haunt us, whether there might be particular sins we've done in the past or things that even cling to us in this present time, that your blood is perfectly sufficient, perfectly effectual to cover all our sins. Therefore, we stand before you perfectly innocent, perfectly loved, perfectly accepted, perfectly forgiven, a child of God because of everything that Christ has done. Uh, God, help us to believe this more and more as we continue here by your grace. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.